Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Hey, what is up, City of Life? I'm so excited to be with you. And I'm Pastor Marcus Meekum, and I'm so honored that your pastors, Jeff and Amy, would have asked me, invited me to spend a little bit of time with you. They are heroes to me. I'm so impressed with them. Of course, you know, your pastors are so gifted. Both of them are just so anointed, powerful in so many ways. As, uh, Pastor Jeff was recently here and just preached the house down. And of course, his worship leading skills are incredible songwriting skills. I was just with him in Atlanta as uh, I watched the movie. I've never seen a movie set at this level. The scale of what they did was, was mind blowing. And so I'm just, I just know, you know, you have such a gifted young man, young leader in Jeff, Jeff. And then of course his wife, Amy is so special as well. And so, um, if you just would just take a second, let them know you love them and appreciate them. I know, I know that they know you've got their back and that's such a big deal. And so, uh, just, just feel that God has really laid something on my heart for you for this revival Sunday. And I'm believing that that is what will happen. You will experience a, a sense of revival that if you've been dry, if you've been uh, maybe even in a dead place or maybe a down place, depressed, discouraged place, the world we're living in right now, it's just rampant. So many people are down, but I believe in that kind of an environment is the best place to watch God revive us, revive you. Second Samuel chapter two. And verse 12 is the text that I'm going to read from. I'm going to read several verses here. And I hope that you'll just imagine uh, some of the things that are going on here because this little story is packed with so many helpful truths uh, for each of us. Let's look at verse number 12. And I'm just going to set the stage here. The Bible says that Abner, who is the commander of King Saul's army, is inviting Joab, who is the commander of David's army, and, and the Bible here says that they invite them to what's called the Pool of Gibeon. Now, the Pool of Gibeon is a famous pool in the Bible. Um, we see it being the place that Joshua prayed for the sun to stand still. And of course, that allowed him to get a victory that was, was desperately needed. And the hand of God stopped the sun there at the Pool of Gibeon. Recently, in the 1950s, archaeologists excavated the location of this pool, and after 2,500 years, they located it, and they discovered that this is really an ancient engineering wonder that they had dug down 80 feet into limestone before they hit the water table, and then that 80-foot that deep pool filled up with water, and they had built a staircase in the limestone that went all the way down to the water. And so this would have been a very famous spot in, uh, in Israel. This would have been a beautiful location to have meetings, to gather, to have celebrations, to have parties, um, palm trees. I mean, the, the, the sand and the desert and then this beautiful pool right there in the middle of it. And so Abner who again is the commander of Saul's army, invites Joab, who is the commander of David's army. And so the Bible says that, that one group sat down on the one side, finishing verse 13, 
of the pool and one group sat down on the other side. Then Abner said to Joab, let's have some of our young men get up and fight hand to hand in front of us. The new King James says, let's have them play a game. So he says, okay, let's do that. And so they stood the young men up, counted 12 off for David uh, or Joab's side, David's commander, and then stood 12 men up for Abner's side. And so you got 12 on one side and 12 on the other side. And the design of the game was that they were supposed to grab one another's head and fight. And the first person that let go of the other person's head lost. That was the initial plan of the game. But they gave the men on one side daggers. And so the other side caught up with what they were doing, that their intentions were not to play a game, but were, were destructive and hateful in nature. And so they put daggers in their side. And then when they said, go, let's fight. Let's look at what the Bible says. Each man grabbed his opponent by the head and thrust his dagger into his opponent's side. And the Bible says they all fell down together. No one survived 12 on one side, 12 on the other side. They all fall down together. They die. And they called this place, this beautiful pool of Gibeon. They called this place, what translates a field of daggers. In verse 18, it says what came out of this moment, what came out of this pool party was Joab, Abishai, and Asael. Asael was a fleet-footed man, was as fast as a gazelle. In verse 19, he chased Abner, neither looking to the right nor to the left as he pursued him. And Abner looked behind him and said, is that you, Asael? And he said, it is. And he answered to him that it is me. You know exactly who I am. You know exactly why I'm coming after you. And Abner said to him, turn to the right or to the left. Take one of the young men out and grab one of his weapons. But the Bible says that Asael would not stop chasing Abner. Again, Abner warned this young man, Asael. He said, listen, stop chasing me. If I strike you down, how could I ever look your brother in the face? But Asael refused to give up the chase. And so Abner, the Bible says, the butt of his spear was thrust into Asael's stomach and the spear came out through his back and there Asael fell dead on the spot. I want us to look at this story and I want to talk to you about a few things, lessons, lessons from this pool party. Now Ephesians 4.27 says to not give the devil away to defeat you. And I believe that in this story, there are some really clear ways that we see this young man ending up defeated in his life that I think will speak to every single one of us about the way the enemy works to destroy and really hurt and harm and even still kill and destroy the purpose of God in our life. Well, the Bible is clear that this is Abner's pool party. Now to understand Abner and Joab and what's going on here, you have to go back into their history that Abner and Joab are arch rivals. Joab is the nemesis of Abner. They have all kinds of bad blood between them. They have all kinds of, of, of history. There, there is, is major animosity between these two men. And without going into the details of this, it's just very, very clear that when Abner throws this pool party and Joab in, accepts the invitation and shows up, he knows exactly 
the kind of environment he's walking into. This would be an environment that everything on the inside of him should say, I know what I'm going to is not a pool party. It's being painted as this great celebration, as fun, as carefree. But Joab seems to use no major judgment. He decides to go to this pool party. And I think it's an important moment here to stop because this gives us the picture of how the world really is. The devil is so good at making us think that the, the pool party of this world is, is where we need to be. The invitation goes out. The temptation is there. It's always enticing. It's always luring. You know, pool parties are fun and they're carefree and they're worry-free and they're stress-free. And, and, and there's just such a draw to that kind of a picture. But we have to remember that what Abner said would be a pool party, we know ended up being a field of daggers. And that's how it is in the world. That many times what the enemy wants to tell you and I is a pool party ends up being a field of daggers in our life. What looks like fun and, and carefree and no worries and, and what, what looks like how, how the world kind of is painted many times ends up being a place where there's hurt and there's harm and there's destruction. And it's not a pool party, it's a bloodbath. And we have to use discernment and we have to use judgment because the enemy is so good at getting us off our guard and putting us into positions where our futures and the next generation is at risk. And that's really what's going on here. Abner's got his feet kicked up as drinking a pina colada while the next generation is being destroyed, while the next generation is, is destroying one another. And he's just sitting back carefree, worry-free. And that's how the enemy is. The enemy is so good at just setting back and he lures us into these unnecessary fights, these unnecessary battles, these unnecessary struggles. And he's just setting back as, as we attack one another and go after one another. That's not the spirit of God. That's not the spirit of Christ. That's, that's the spirit that the world creates, drawing you and I into these atmospheres and then ultimately he ends up destroying us because the Bible says they all fell down together. So I want to give you a few lessons because once this happens, the Bible says a sail begins to chase after Abner. And the Bible says in verse 18 that when he starts to chase after him, it says that he is fleet-footed like a wild gazelle, which I believe gives us lesson number one, that gazelles don't chase. That here's this young man, what was supposed to be a pool party ends up being this bloodbath, and this young man starts to chase after Abner. And the Bible says he's fleet-footed like a wild gazelle. But we know that gazelles don't chase. That chasing or pursuing is against a gazelle's nature. And that's how the enemy is. He is an expert at getting us to act against our divine nature. A gazelle in nature can run 60 miles an hour. A gazelle can outrun a cheetah. Yet it knows by instinct 
that it's to never leave the safety of a herd and chase after a cheetah just because it can catch it. Because eventually that gazelle knows if it chases after the cheetah, the cheetah might just turn around and that gazelle is not equipped. It's not within its nature to be a predator. And so we have to know there are some things that are not in our nature as people that love Christ and love Jesus. And are there things that maybe you know in your life that the enemy has sucked you into, he's lured you into chasing after, that are against the divine nature that God gave you when you surrendered your life to him. Ephesians chapter two says that you have a new nature. When you give your life to Christ, that he gives you a new spirit, a new heart. First Peter 1 Peter 1.23 says we're born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible or an imperishable seed. When you become a person that says yes to Jesus, at that moment, old things pass away and behold, all things become brand new. You get a new seed. You get new DNA. The Bible calls it, you are regenerated, regened. You get a new core. You get a new heart, a new spirit. You become a brand new person. The problem is, is you still sometimes feel the draw of your flesh. Your old nature is still there, kind of hiding out, trying to push its way through, trying to take back over in your life. And the enemy is so good at playing on your old nature, you, the old tendencies, those old emotions, those, those past issues that you have. He's trying to get you to walk away, turn away, act against the new nature that you have and respond by chasing after things that God has not put in your new nature. And the Bible here says that he starts to chase Abner. This young man starts to go after Abner. How many Christians today are not watching online or they're not in the house of God because somewhere along the line, the enemy pulled them into chasing after an Abner. They're chasing after revenge. They're chasing after getting even. They're chasing after bitterness and this world. They're chasing after bringing other people down. They're chasing after some ungodly relationship in their life. They're chasing after some, some carnal thing in their life. And they're chasing after it and it's drawn them away from everything that God has for them. And so my question as we begin is, is there something in your life you've been chasing after? That's not in your divine nature, nature. I don't know what's happened in your home. I don't know what's happened in your marriage. Young people, listen to me. I know the world we live in today is difficult, but there are certain things that God has to put on the inside of you and it will instill a value in you that I'm sorry, there are things in this world that it's against my nature to chase that. It's against my nature to run after certain things. It's not that I can't. It's not that I'm not able to. It's that I know 
that the divine nature that God has put on the inside of me has the final say. And there are certain things he says, don't leave the safety of the herd. Don't leave the safety of godly counsel and, and prayer and, and godly leadership and the house of God and, and, and the, the places that God puts you, that youth ministry, that, that, that place that you serve, that small group that you're involved in, that church that you're involved. You, you got to stay in that and don't let the enemy get you chasing after things that will pull you away from the safety of the place that God is trying to build up that new divine nature. The second thing that we see happen happens in verse 21. Abner yells back to Asel. He says, stop chasing me. And then listen to what he says. He says, if you're going to chase me, at least stop and get a weapon. In other words, Abner says to this young man, he says, you're not ready for this fight. So lesson number two for us would be do not chase unarmed. You know you're in a bad place when the devil starts counseling you on what you're not ready for. Abner's advice was if you're going to fight, you should at least stop and get some weapons. And as a Christian, can I just encourage you that it is no time to live unarmed because we're in an end time war. The Bible says the love of many in the last days will grow cold. And that sometimes we have to think about, are we really equipped for the battles that are in front of us? As Christians, do we really have the proper weaponry for some of the fights that we're going to have to be involved in. Do not chase unarmed. He says, stop and pick up a weapon if you're going to get in this battle. Let me ask you a question. The Bible says that we're to put on the full armor of God. In Ephesians 6, it says it two times. Again, I say to you, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the schemes of the enemy. Two times he emphasizes full. Why? Because the enemy is so good at getting Christians to think because we have the helmet of salvation on that we're ready for battle. But you can't run into a battle and the only thing you got on is the helmet of salvation. I appreciate that you love Jesus. I appreciate that you're in church. I appreciate that you're saved and on your way to heaven. But the helmet of salvation does not mean that you're ready for the battle. You got to put on the full armor of God. Can I just encourage you, whatever you're chasing after today, the wisdom of God would tell you, would you just stop long enough? Turn to the left or to the right and make sure that you have the proper weapons to engage in the fights that are in front of you. Stop long enough and pick up the weapon of prayer. Pick up the shield of faith. Pick up the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. Put on that, that belt of truth. Put on those feet shods of peace. You got to make sure the full armor of God is on. Because as a believer, yes, we're in a battle. Yes, we're in a struggle. Yes, we're in a fight and a war. But we've got to make sure we have the weapons. That's why God has given us praise. Because your praise is 
a weapon. It's not just an emotional shout. It's not just an emotional clap. It's not just an emotional song. No, when you and I open our mouth and we clap our hands and we lift our hands and we begin to put our focus on God, that is a weapon that God has given us. And the weapon of praise can equip you to win against whatever fight is coming at your life. It's no time to live unprotected. It's no time to live our life without the Holy Spirit helping us know, are we armed with forgiveness? Are we armed with the love of Christ? Are we armed with the peace of God? Or are we chasing after things and we have not stopped long enough to get with God and make sure that we're equipped for the battles that we're engaging in? And then number three, and we're done. It says that Abner looks back at this young man and says, listen, you're chasing after me, but it's going to hurt your brother, Joab. This is going to hurt your family. And so number three teaches us your chase is dragging others along with you. How is the thing that you're chasing hurting your family? I understand that you think I'm chasing after this. I don't care what anybody says. I'm done. Listen, I, I'm dead set. I'm going to chase after this Abner in my life. But let me ask you a question. If it was just you in the chase, that's fine. But sometimes we're taking other people with us. We're dragging our kids. We're dragging our family. We're dragging our futures. We're, we're dragging the, the, the people, the friends, the relationships in our life. We're dragging those things with us. I think about as a pastor, how many families I've watched end up being destroyed because someone would refuse to stop chasing an Abner. People that thought I've got to gain this chasing a career at a level, nothing wrong with going after dreams, but chasing after something in such a way, being so obsessed, they can gain the whole world. And in the process, they lose their soul or lose the soul of their family. Heard a story of a storm chaser, Tim Samara, famous storm chaser, who ended up dying in a violent tornado in 2013, right outside of, of a, a city there in Oklahoma. And the tornado was outpacing them. It was over two miles wide. They were trying to get away from it, driving 65, 70 miles an hour down the road. The tornado took a sharp right and hooked towards them. And before they knew it, that tornado had picked up the SUV that they were in going 70 miles an hour one way, picked that car up and threw them a hundred feet, or I'm sorry, a football field, a hundred yards in the other direction. Every single person in that car, Tim, his partner and his son were all instantly killed. And what got me was not that Tim ended up being killed because of that chase, because he had to chase something. What got me was it killed his partner and maybe even more what got me is it killed his son. It was one thing for the chase to destroy his life, but the chase that he was in destroyed the life of those people that he loved the most. Whatever chase you're involved in, I want to just encourage you, it's not a solo chase. What happened in this story is Abner said, listen, 
You're dragging your family in this chase with you. And so three times Abner said, stop chasing, stop chasing. It's against your nature. Stop chasing. You're not armed. Stop chasing this. You're dragging your family with you. And the Bible said a sail refused to give up the chase. And the imagery is not that Abner turned around with his sword and stabbed this young man. The image is he just stopped and the butt of his spear went through a sail's stomach and out his back. The dull part of the spear ended up going through a sail's stomach and out his back and he died there on the spot. Think about, it was the momentum of the chase that killed this young man. Abner didn't even turn and swing his sword. He hardly lifted a finger. This young man died because he refused to quit chasing something that God would never have called him to chase. It was an unholy chase. Can I encourage you, never underestimate the momentum of a chase. Never underestimate, maybe I should say it like this, the momentum of your choices. Your choices have a momentum to them. I guarantee you that this young man thought at any moment I can pull back. At any moment I can say no. At any moment I can slow down. At any moment I can turn the other direction. At any moment I can stop doing what I'm, I don't have to go in this direction. I'm just doing this because I want to. I can stop whenever I want to. But the momentum of his choices ended up killing him. And this is how the Bible teaches us that our lives end up being destroyed. The Bible says your tongue is just a small thing, but just through your words, it's like a spark that starts a forest fire. The Bible's over and over giving us these ideas, our words, our conversations, our negativity, our choices, they all have a momentum to them. And if we don't consider our choices, our words, our conversations, then the chase that we get involved with can end up destroying our life, can end up destroying our future. You have to be careful what you're chasing because the truth is you might just catch it. You know, this story began with, with a image of a pool party. And I, I understand the draw to, to fun and to friends and to being relaxed and, and all that we see in this initial moment. But I think we need to be reminded of who invites us to the pool parties of life. You know, the Bible is really clear that Jesus himself had some pool parties. You might remember that there was the young man who had been blind since birth. And what did Jesus tell him? I want you to go wash those eyes at the pool of Siloam. And the Bible says he went to that pool party, washed that, that mud out of his eyes, and immediately he received his sight. And he received a mirror. Whole life couldn't see. But he went to the pool party that Jesus had called him to and invited him to. And he was blind. But the Bible says God gave him his sight back. 
There's another pool party that Jesus went to and the man had been lame, sitting there for decades, no one to help him get in the pool. And Jesus, the Bible says, told him immediately to get up and walk there at the pool of Bethsaida. At that pool party, there was a man who could not walk, had been that way for decades, but Jesus invites him to that moment and the Bible says he began to walk again and he jumped up and he began to leap and he took up his bed and he began to praise God there. You see, if you look at the pool parties of the world, no matter how they make it look, in the end, it's daggers, it's destruction, everyone stabbing each other in the back, it's hatred, it's unforgiveness, it's bitterness. All the things of this world end up, it doesn't matter what they call a pool party, in the end, you gotta be asking yourself, who, who, who's calling me to this pool party? Because if Jesus wants to invite you to a pool party, which he does, by the way, He'll cause those blind eyes to open. He'll cause those lame areas of your life where, where you've not been able to have any strength. He'll cause those areas to get strong again so you can walk again, so you can leap again, so you can be someone that's filled with, with a purpose again. You see, when Jesus calls us to a pool party, it's fun, it's friends, it's all that stuff, but it's a place of hope. It's a place of healing. It's a place of vision. It's a place of restoration. It's a place of peace. And can I just encourage you as we wrap up our time together that maybe you ended up thinking to yourself that, you know, this God stuff isn't any fun. This is, there's no joy in it. Maybe you just gave up on church or maybe you gave up on the destiny that God has for you. But I want to challenge you. You know now that this world, what it says is a pool party, is a field of daggers. What you thought was a pool party ends up being a bloodbath. And my challenge to you is Jesus can invite you. The Bible says that you can be washed by the water of his word. I love the image of, of just how God's word can wash over you. I love the image of the woman at the well. Jesus said, I can give you water that you'll drink of and you'll never thirst again. Can I just challenge you? If you've been chasing the things of this world, stop it. If you've been chasing after an Abner, stop. Don't, don't chase that unforgiveness. Don't chase that ungodly relationship any longer. Don't chase after that sin. Don't chase after those things. And stop. Stop the chase. There's a momentum to those choices. And here the very clear invitation of Jesus. That's what he did on the cross, by the way. The cross was a clear image that you and I have to chase nothing in life, that God's the one that will do the chasing. The Bible says in Acts chapter one, that when he was hanging on the cross, that bloody, horrible image of the cross, that that was Jesus's passion. Translation, the cross was Jesus chasing you and I. You don't have to chase, just stop. Jesus can chase after you. That's what that bloody, horrible, brutal cross was all about. It was a clear understanding to the world that God in his love wants to chase after us. And he wants to invite us to a place where we can find those pool parties, those places of rest and joy and peace and celebration, but we can find them in a way that Jesus himself can bring to us. Not some counterfeit thing, not some carnal worldly thing, but a true 
place where Jesus can call you and I to a place of rest and forgiveness and new beginning and a new start. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.